Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in once again. My name is Christopher Jason Bell, and here I am today, digitally, with filmmaker Numa Perrier. Hello, Numa. And let's start off with something uh, really easy, general. Um, can you tell me what your background is in, in terms, in relation to filmmaking, like how you got into it and all that jazz? Sure. I, I got into the whole kind of art and film, movies, became interested in that at a pretty young age. When I was five or six years old, I was interested and was really active in theater and school as much as I could be, was really an avid writer, an avid reader from a pretty young age as well, and just always had a vision and a dream of moving to Los Angeles to become an actor, even though I didn't know where Los Angeles was really when I was a kid. I'd never visited there before, never been to Disneyland or anything like that. Uh, it's just what I always heard that people did. And so I just had this focus that I would do that at some point. And so my entry point was really one from performing and writing. And then when I did move out here after high school, I quickly kind of learned about the other aspects of the industry, filmmaking and the other aspects of the art industry, photography, and all of those things kind of melded together and resulted in me starting to make films as well as a director. So um, that's the background. It really started, you know, when I was a kid, that that's just what I wanted to do. It's what I had seen around me. It's what I was interested in in school. And I just continued to follow that path. Gotcha. And where did you grow up? I grew up kind of all around small town USA. I was adopted at a young age and um, from an American family. And I was born in Haiti. And mm. so I can't really say that I grew up in one place, but I lived in a lot of small towns around the country in California, in Oregon, Washington State, then also in the South for some time in South Carolina and Georgia, small towns, and then did a brief stint in Las Vegas before I came to L.A. Were you like a movie lover growing up? I wasn't at all. I was really sheltered from a lot of pop culture. We didn't go to movies as a family. I didn't see, there's so many movies that I haven't seen. And it's so funny because, um, you know, a lot of my peers that are like really know their movies inside out. It's like, they can't, they just don't even know what to do with me. I get teased a lot about it. There's a lot of films I have seen, but there's a lot of really classic films that I've never seen or I never saw all of it, or I've only seen more recently in the last few years, you know, and mm -hmm. I've definitely like had my black card taken a few times um, <laughs> because there, there, there's a long list of really great, the classic black films that I never saw. And then just as a filmmaker, you know, people get on me a lot about that. How can you be a filmmaker and have not seen, you know, the, the top, whatever it is, 50 films that you're supposed to see. And yeah. I just, <laughs> I don't really believe in that. I don't think I have to see all of those films. 
to make my own films to, and to express. And, and um, it's just a funny, it's definitely for, you know, my friends and people who meet me, it's a, it's a running joke about how I probably haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. No, when I, um, when I was started uh, film school and I was studying, I would like talk to people and they'd be like, I hadn't really seen anything. I was like, I know I want to do this, but I haven't like been obsessed with movies uh, growing up. So there's, you know, the same thing. Like I hadn't seen like all of these, like whatever the canon, the classic movies. Mm-hmm. And um, what's a big classic movie that you've never seen to this day that people would just be shocked. Oh, to this day, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I've done really well, like since, you but caught, um, up, caught up now. God. Yeah. You know what? At this point, it's kind of just like I've I've caught up and sometimes I kind of just forget like if I hadn't. All right. So I haven't seen Gone with the Wind. OK, that's good. Yeah. So like um, like you're kind of off the hook for that because it's like you don't you don't have to see that one. Right. You don't have to see the slave ones. Right? Yeah. 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 That's the I mean, that's the one where it's like um. Like, everybody's seen it, so it's not just, like, movie fanatics, but, like, uh, you know, people who, you know, your family or or something like that, or, like, people that you grew up with, like, everyone's kind of seen that. I haven't seen that, but, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't have to now, so it's not a... Yeah, yeah, I think you're, yeah, you're forgiven. What's the big one you haven't seen yet? I have never seen Love Jones. I have never seen Love Jones. You've never seen Love Jones either, that's... <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll put that on the list. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it one of these days. Yeah, and like people bug you about that one a lot. I'm guessing. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, it's a it's a classic film, and I think I've maybe seen a scene from it, or I saw the beginning of it. I've just I've just never seen it from start to finish. I don't know really what happens. I know it's a love story. Yeah, that's right in the <laughs> so title. It's a classic black love story that I'm supposed to have seen, and it's a great film mm-hmm. that I should be taking notes from, but I, I can't because I've never seen it. Right. And so what's the one that people always bug you about? Aside from that one, if that's like the one. Um, that's, that's a big one that that people can't believe it doesn't make, I think it doesn't make sense to them that I, you know, me as a, as a black woman, I haven't seen the film either, Mm -hmm. you know? So even outside of being a filmmaker, that's one that seems to always kind of come up like Mm -hmm. where people just, you know, shake their head. Mm -hmm. Are you like becoming like a movie lover? Oh, I love movies. I just don't spend I just, my time is kind of divided in a different way. I really do love movies. I think I see movies a lot more now than I did growing up. That's definitely for sure. But there, but I don't see films at the rate and frequency that someone would assume as a filmmaker I would. You know, um, yeah. this year I've gotten a little better. I'm trying to stay ahead of the curve for award season and really see more of the film. So I've seen Mudbound already. I've seen Lady Bird. Uh, I've seen a ghost story. And there's a good, there's a good, 
There's a good dozen more films that I need to see, <laughs> and I'm <laughs> hoping that I can get through the majority of them. So I'm making a concerted effort, and I do <laughs> I do love movies, but I just don't. Um, I mean, I know people that watch a movie a day or that watch several movies every week without fail, and I'm just I'm just not one of those people. I I don't anticipate being one. Yeah. No, I mean, I used to. I would be keeping up because I used to be a film critic. So it would be like, what's your top 10? And I would have to like keep up with like a ton of movies every year. And um, I've kind of pulled back and I enjoy movies more now Mm -hmm. that I'm kind of like calling my own shots. Um, But you'll see like, you know, a lot of movie obsessed filmmakers. I don't necessarily think they're any better. Like if they make you feel bad for having other hobbies and stuff, like every, anything can like influence your art. It doesn't have to be like the medium you're operating in, you know, like, yeah, I feel the same way for sure. I mean, I'm the real life is influencing me more than anything else. And, uh, and again, you know, I don't, I don't want it to seem that I don't love movies. I really do. I just, I can only watch some, I can only consume so much, you know, um, yeah, I can only consume so much. If it comes to music, that's something I consume a lot of in a way that maybe people think I should consume movies, but uh, but I don't work as a person in the music industry. I, I just enjoy music, and as a person who works in film, I think I'm just spending more time writing and coming up with the next plan for the next, the next movie or the next script. Well, music is at least something you can like. Obviously, you can listen to it and focus on it, but you can couldn't you can put it on in the background in a way that you couldn't do for like a movie or a TV show or anything like that. Right. So it yeah. makes more sense that it could like even if you put it on the background, it's kind of like influencing you. It's seeping into you um, mm-hmm. in your subconscious and you know likely inspiring you. Um, in ways that you can't do with a movie or show or whatever. Yeah, you have to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why I don't, because maybe my attention span is just not, it's just not on the level. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's everybody now. It's kind of like, <laughs> this is our fate, <laughs> just to be, like, always looking the other way or whatever. But I have to say, I really did enjoy A Ghost Story. I mean, I watched the movie uh, recently. I watched it last week. And I really loved this movie, and I know it's gotten really kind of mixed reviews, um, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty exceptional. Mm. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I've, um, mm-hmm. I think I know one of the producers and maybe someone else, but um, everyone I know who's seen it really likes it a lot. Um, so yeah, that's just on the list. I'll <laughs> get to that. Um, yeah, I would definitely want to hear what you think about it. It's a very different type of film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'll definitely check that out at some point. To go back a little bit to to music, do you know if certain musicians or pieces of music, songs, whatever, have influenced your work? Can you like point to something and be like, "Oh, that's where that came from"? Mm, yes, uh, I use music a lot in when I write, and uh, when I wrote the the script for my feature film for Jezebel. I was listening to a lot of music kind of from the early 2000s (laughs) Uh, because that's when when the movie takes place and I wanted to kind of 
insert myself back into what I could remember of that world and of myself. So I was really influenced by uh, Janet Jackson, a Velvet Rope album is something mm-hmm. I played a lot and was, you know, listened to a lot while I was, you know, pulling, just trying to pull inspiration and pull the emotional palette of it and the sensuality of it, especially. So uh, she's been an influence of that album in particular. Also during that time was the kind of like white angst uh, music time. So I was listening to uh, Fiona Apple, Alanis Morissette as well. And yeah, yeah, so uh, their early albums were also influencing me as I was writing. You made this uh, web platform for for shows for web series. Um, it's called Blacks and Black and Sexy TV, correct? Mm-hmm. And so this is different, you know, from like filmmaking and acting. What made you want to uh, go out and create this avenue for? I know you've done some of the shows on it, but you haven't done all of them, right? There are other other people are working on other shows, and they're on this platform, right? Yes, uh, Black and Sexy started as as a creative collective that quickly developed into a way to eat off of our art. So uh, a team of us who are all filmmakers at different stages of our careers, pretty much everyone just emerging as filmmakers and artists, and we all had a common vision for wanting to see Black stories told in a normal, everyday light. And we didn't want to always have to wait for anyone else to kind of open that door for us. So with YouTube, we were able to create our own skits and our own short form series that ended up becoming long form and just um, just as just as uh, timely as anything that you would see on regular television. But when we first started, everything was either skits or five, six, seven-minute episodes of uh, different ideas that we were kind of incubating and, and trying out on our audience on YouTube. And that quickly grew. And as that grew, we kept adding another show and another show and then making the episodes longer and... In about two, it took about two years of that before we started charging for the content. So we did it all for free for over two years with the support of crowdfunding and with the support of the audience who loved the feature film, A Good Day to Be Black and Sexy, which is the nucleus of the entire network. So it was pretty much going from a feature, the launching pad of a feature film to taking that audience on this other journey with us, which was short form content skits and then episodic and then our own kind of micro network. And um, that's what we did. So after about two years we started charging for the content. We started selling the season finales. And then we moved into our own platform. So it's, you know, very similar to a Netflix. It's $7 a month, blackandsexy.tv. And people subscribe there to watch all of our programming, which is over a dozen shows now, probably approaching a two dozen different series 
There's our vintage series, the ones that we started off with that we did, you know, a couple of seasons of. And then we have, you know, brand new series that are being produced right now as well. So it's still going. And um, the focus of that, you know, for me, I've always been really interested in business as well. So as much as I love art and love acting, love writing and love creating, I also love the art form of how to turn that into money, (laughs) you know, how to turn that into a business, you know, that really excites me to try to figure out how to get, how to get this thing out to the world and, and get paid for it. And, you know, how do you tap into that in in a way where people are eager to give you their money and eager to kind of follow you wherever you go, you know, um, and trust what you're going to create next. So I've always been really interested in that. Even since I was a kid, I was selling my own poetry since I was like eight or nine years old. I would sell, I would, (laughs) I would write poems for my friends in school and charge them, you know, a quarter, you know, per line to write them a poem for their mom's you know, for Mother's Day or Father's Day or whatever, you know. So I've always kind of linked business with my art. And so uh, Black and Sexy is no different from that. It's just a larger scale thing with partners who also had the similar vision. I normally talk to uh, filmmakers and, and myself as well, where I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I can sell this, <laughs> like this movie I made so I'm just going to put it out for free. And uh, I guess I'd be really scared. I'd I'd be really scared to do like to like charge money for something and then be like, oh, nobody's buying it. Is it because it costs money? You know, should I make it free? Um, Which is really silly because like you'll see the view count whether it's free or not. So you're going to feel bad either way. You're still going to feel terrible. Yeah. So. Because it's all currency, right? So some, so anyone who's exchanging anything with you, there's a currency there. It could be emotional currency, you know, there's sexual currency, there's, and there's money, you know, and it's all, it's all things to be traded. And, um, yeah, so you're going to feel bad either way, but <laughs> I understand what you're saying. And I think that's why with Black and Sexy being on YouTube, it was free for so long because we were really building a relationship with the audience. And that took time and it kind of took a grooming and it, it took it took time to kind of nurture that bond and that trust and to build the value as well. So... Yeah, I wish that there were, you know, kind of maybe a different language for it instead of just saying, oh, I'm just putting this out there for free because you're not really putting it out there for free because something is happening. There is an exchange happening uh, when people are watching and responding to you and commenting or emailing you on the side about what you've done. And so it's not exactly free just makes it sound so cheap and so like you're just throwing whatever you created like you're just throwing it out there and throwing it away and you're not, you're engaging in, you know, a, a young relationship with (laughs) whoever is taking the time to watch what you have, you know, even if that view count is really low, that's something that you can build on. And, uh, we took that, that concept, you know, that I'm talking about and we nurtured that for, 
a certain amount of time until really the audience was even asking to pay us, like, please take my money, (laughs) you know? So that doesn't mean that it took any of the fear away because, you know, every week when we were putting episodes out, there was the fear of, oh, no one is going to watch this or very few people are going to watch this or they're going to slaughter us in the comments. And sometimes that would happen, but you know, that's that's part of who we are as artists. We take that risk that what we do may or may not resonate beyond ourselves, you know? It kind of goes back to, like, you're going to feel bad either way. So <laughs> why not just make what you want to make and, you know, put it out there? And, yeah. Um, yeah. And just let yourself be surprised because, you know, that's something that definitely happened with certain things that... I've been on the team of, you know, there's certain things where you think that no one is going to respond and everyone responds. Mm. And then there's things where you think everyone would respond and like, you're the only one who gets it. You know, to this day, I have projects like that. Yeah. I stand by them, but no one else really gave a shit about <laughs> it, you know? And then there's, then there's been things where I just, I, you know, I just had a different feeling about and it was the opposite. So sometimes you're on the money. Sometimes you just, you don't know what's going to happen. You got to just let yourself be surprised. Yeah. Stuff like that is really strange. Um, talking about how like, Oh, you know, this one is going to hit and nobody like gets it. Nobody gets behind it. And then something maybe you didn't think would click suddenly clicks. And, uh, I don't know. It just seems like nothing makes sense. Like it's so random that you kind of just have to like, you know, if you're going to make something and put it out there, you have to just trust yourself and just be like, all right, this is what I want to do. I'm going to put it out there and nobody in the world knows what's going on. So I just have to try my best and put this out there rather than kind of think like, well, what does this person want? You know, like what does my imaginary audience want? And kind of figure that out, which is, um, it's fun to do, but you never know, like you have no idea. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I kind of liken it to dating in a way. It's like, I mean, you can have kind of an idea, you know, you can kind of be like forming a bond with someone and kind of have an idea about what they might like or how they might react to this or that, but you don't, you actually can't control that person at all. All you can really do is just be who you are and show up as your best self, you know, and put yourself out there and kind of see where things go. And I think it's more fun that way too. And I think that it, that's the same, the same thing applies for art as well. It's just, you don't really know what's going to happen. And if you did, it would kind of take something away from the experience for yourself as well. And so that kind of helps the nerves, but you're still going to have them. You're still going to you're still, it's still going to tap into some of your insecurities, you know, and your nervousness. I mean, you can't have ups without downs, I guess. Like, that's what you would want. Um, But, um, okay, so to jump a little bit, you were part of the uh, Through Her Lens director program for Tribeca. Mm -hmm. And was this, was this for Jezebel? It was. So, I got a phone call after, you know, having done, I think we were in the first year of our subscription service, and I got a phone call from my agent saying, hey, Numa, there's this new new program at Tribeca 
that they're doing uh, that's geared towards uh, women filmmakers? And do you have any short scripts that are solo that you would want to submit to this? And I really, at the time, didn't think I had anything because everything that I had been writing had kind of been in the writer's rooms of Black and Sexy. So a lot of those things were, you know, there would be, there was another, there were other writers attached to it. It was a joint project. I hadn't really worked on anything with only my name on it in a bit. And um, I started thinking about older scripts that I had. And I remember that I had this script Jezebel, which is a feature, but I had only written 15 pages. And I just read the 15 pages and I thought, you know what, this could be a short film where the, the, the moment that I got to at the 15th page could be the ending of a short film. And I said, this is all I have. You know, it's so rare that your agent calls you, <laughs> you, you know, like specifically to ask you to please submit to this thing that yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, back away from that or let him down or let let the opportunity slide by. So I just kind of doctored up those 15 pages, cleaned it up and submitted it. And a couple months later, uh, they had selected my script and it was a really great program. They brought out, they brought out six filmmakers uh, to New York for three days. And we had some of the most tremendous mentors out there that you could possibly have. And we worked on our scripts for over those three days and just got a lot of really good advice about how to bring those scripts to life. But while I was there, my focus was, was extending beyond that because I, I knew I had submitted it as a short and that's how I got there. But I really wanted to finish it as a feature and Uh have that be my, you know, my first, my first calling card as a feature film director. So was that some, like, I'm guessing there were, like, workshops and stuff like that. Was that something where you were like, oh, and by the way, if I wanted to do this as a feature, what do you think? Uh, I was really upfront and telling people, hey, I, I intend this to be a feature. Um, yeah. And people were really excited about that. But But in the workshops, we focused on the scripts as they were, as shorts, and um, it didn't change anything too much. It was still really about the characters and about uh, what we wanted from the story and what the story meant to us personally, things like that. So it wasn't a huge difference between, you know, the advice that I was getting. And when I left the workshop and I was telling people about the feature and, and I was even kind of vacillating between, oh, maybe I should just make it a short first and then make it a feature. And everyone said, no, 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 just go ahead and make the feature because it's going to take just as much energy to gather up everything you need to make the short. You might as well just plan on going another two weeks, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, um, so people, they actually really encouraged me to expand on it. Yeah. You have awesome people around you. I really do. And I, because I'm telling you with the Tribeca thing, I got a phone call from, I would get a phone call or an email every four, three to four months from someone checking in with me about my script and saying, so what's going on with that? So how are you doing? You know, and every time that they checked in, I had absolutely nothing to report because I hadn't done anything. (laughs) I hadn't done anything. And I think a whole year went by and they checked in with me yet again. And I, 
And I just really, I just felt so disappointed in myself. And I really kind of gave myself a little tough love talk. Like, what are you doing? You know, what are you, and I just really kicked myself in the ass. And that's how I ended up going ahead and finishing it. But, um, but there was a big lag in between because I went in October, it was October 2000, I want to say it was October, 2015. And yeah. And then a year and a half later I was, I was making the film, but only because they kept reaching out to me and I kept feeling so dumb that I had talked so much about what I was going to do and I hadn't made any moves toward it. And I finally just committed to it. And once I committed everything, everything fell into place. Yeah. So at this point, um, you've made it. And (laughs) a little, just in case nobody knows what we're talking about, um, you made a a feature. um, And it's called Jezebel. Mm -hmm. So can you pitch it? to our audience real quick. I know it had a real life inspiration. So if you'd like to talk about that too, um, please do. Yes, it is. It's based on a true story about uh, me and my sister when we were scrapping along in Las Vegas, trying to make ends meet. At the same time, our mother was on her deathbed, uh, really just going through kind of a brutal, brutal bout with the diabetic complications And we were just scrapping along in Las Vegas trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do when she passes away? And all of these things were kind of unspoken. We weren't talking about them. We were just kind of living through it and looking at each other every day with a big question mark. And so it was the two of us, her boyfriend, her three-year-old son, and my brother we were all living in Las Vegas has these little uh, weekly furnished weekly rentals that are really, really small kind of studio apartments. There's no real door that separates a bedroom. It's kind of just one area with these weird little wall partitions. It's hard to describe, but people in Las Vegas know what it is. It's such a transient lifestyle. I mean, people usually go there uh, to stay there temporarily, but they end up living there for years. You get kind of caught in this warp. So we were living in one of those and starting to be caught in one of those warps. And my sister was working as a phone sex operator at the time. And after our mother did uh, finally pass away, she suggested that I try what she called at the time internet modeling. And I didn't know what that was, but I quickly understood it to be the adult industry online. And this is when, this was the very early days of the internet. So most people only had dial up and nobody had the things that we have today, no social media, no FaceTime. And in order to get into that industry, you had to actually go to an office and, you know, be interviewed as if it were, you know, a regular job and actually go into work every day. And so, That's what I did. I went and I was hired at this company called BabeNet, and I was the only black girl that they hired there. And the film goes through what it was like while I worked there and how my sister pretty much groomed me into 
being successful at that job. And so it's a very kind of bizarre story about sisterhood. And it's a very kind of bizarre story of a sexual coming of age uh, and a story of survival and family that's really coming from a very uh, unexplored area. So that is Jezebel. And <laughs> and yeah, that's the story that, that we take you on in that film. Have you seen uh, Girl 6? Yes, of course. Oh, okay, yeah. Um so that's a uh, that's a Spike Lee and Susan Laurie Parks film, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. also about a sex operator. Is, is that something like that had any influence on your film? Well, Girl Six is it's funny because it's you know one of the films I have seen. <laughs> and I really <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I know it was a film that had mixed reviews as well. I really enjoyed it. I definitely related to it uh, from personal experience from and from things I knew about my sister. And when I talk about Jezebel, people do often bring up Girl 6, but it's very, very, it's a very different story. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's similar in that it's dealing, definitely dealing in in the adult industry, and it's definitely dealing with how a a black woman, how she's filtering that, you know, and how she's kind of, um, you know, negotiating what what that means you know, what that means as a black woman and someone who has, you know, dreams of having a different type of life. So there are some parallels there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that a a big difference is in Jezebel, there's a lot of focus on the sisters and how the sisters have a very special relationship, very different than mother and daughter, but yet similar you know, um, because you, you're, you're kind of trading those roles and they have the loss of their mother as well that they're contending with. So it goes into areas that Girl 6 doesn't go into because it's just a different, it's a different story. Um, but it's dealing with some similar themes, yes. I don't want to spoil the movie for people or for myself. So, but I, w- I would, I'm curious, um, and I'm not really sure how to put this, but what your what your take is on that um, industry, I guess, um, which I'm sure comes out in the film. So I don't want to, like, go too deep. I think I'm still unpacking that for myself. Uh, this making this film and having to look back on that time in my life has been a, a new entry point of discovery for for me because I had tucked it away and kind of I put it in a compartment in a way where I had said, oh, this doesn't exist anymore. And as you mature, you realize that no matter how many compartments you make for your past, it's still part of the whole. You can't walk away from what you've done, what you've experienced. It's all who you are. And Making the film has kind of reopened all of that for me to say, oh, okay, you know, this piece fits here and this, it's okay to shine light on that area. So when I think about, when I think about that industry, I know there's so much more that I'll have to say about it as I kind of continue and as the movie starts being shared with audiences. But right now I look at it as, you know, it's a... You know, the adult industry is a 
it's an opportunity, you know, it's a, it's a place. It's, it's a, it's the most phony, but yet the most real place that exists, you know, because I think that you're dealing with the really primal energies and things people don't want to admit to kind of being driven by. Um, but yet at the same time, it's such a, it's such a taboo thing that it's such part of a fantasy world. So it's also not real. And so you're kind of got both things going on at the same time. I think that was such a great description of it. It being like the most phony, the phoniest and then the realest thing out there. Yeah. And I think the film taps into that a lot, you know, how, how it's so fake but it's so real. People are connecting in a way that they may not be connecting otherwise. It's interesting that you have this acting background and then uh, your film is you're essentially, you're, you're doing it like it's not really about an actor, but it kind of is. I mean, they're yeah. actors, you know, in the adult industry, they, are the, they, they call themselves actors. Mm. You know, which I still, I have some trouble with. <laughs> I do, you know, because I, I do. And I think I was having this conversation with someone about this the other day about, you know, legitimate actors versus, you know, adult actors and how there, there shouldn't be a distinction made. And I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, I feel like there's a distinction, you know, but I also get it, you know, that there's, also not. It kind of goes back to the real, the real thing and the fake thing again, you know? Was it hard to kind of separate your real life from the film, like deciding what goes into the film and what gets changed and stuff like that? It wasn't too, it wasn't too hard because I was really committed to it being as authentic as possible. And it, that doesn't mean that, excuse me, it doesn't mean that everything in the film happened for real or happened like that. But the majority, a lot of it did. Uh, certain things had to be changed just be, just in casting and things like that. But um, it's very authentic. It's, it's very authentic emotionally, that's for sure. I didn't want to back away from that at all. Um, and it's very, it's real. I mean, it's, a, it's real. I... I feel satisfied with the level of authenticity that's there. Um, but that doesn't mean that everything happened the way that it's kind of laid out. And it's pretty much a slice of life. So you're not seeing, you know, every, you're not seeing every moment. You're not seeing from the beginning to the end of everything that happened. But you are kind of, you're definitely getting the picture, you know, that, oh, this is what it felt like. Right. Uh, this was kind of the this was the emotional palette of it. And where are you? So you've you finished shooting. Um, what's what's going to happen next for the film? So right now, I'm still seeking. I'm still raising some money. Have a GoFundMe up still for it. Um, I'm. I need sound design. I need coloring, and probably one more pass at the edit. I would say, you know, the movie's about 85%, 90% complete. Um, the story's all there. I'm really happy with the performances. The edit is most, there's only a couple of scenes that I want to kind of go back in and tweak. Um, and then, yeah, sound design is pretty important. And 
the coloring uh, hasn't been touched at all, and that's kind of a big deal too. So, so yeah, just uh, pushing through to finish those last steps. And in the meantime, I have been submitting it to festivals, so I do anticipate it premiering at a festival in 2018. I just don't know which one yet. Post-festival, is this something that you would want to be, like, distributed in, you know, contemporary, like, contemporary sense, like, streaming and stuff like that? Or could you see this also as, like, you making your own platform for this film? Like, would could this be on Black and Sexy TV? You know what I mean? Uh, this film could definitely live on Black and Sexy TV, and I think it would be great if, if that could be worked out. Um, I think this film straddles, definitely straddles between the film world and the art world, so I also see it having some museum and gallery type of showings as well as, you know, probably some sort of theatrical and definitely a streaming streaming release. So it just kind of, you know, it's in the hands of a few um, producers and possible distributors now as well, too, even ahead of the festivals. So... Yeah, I definitely see it landing in a few different places. So it'll be it will be available. Um but yeah, I see it kind of living in the art world. I see it living in yeah, the theatrical world, you know, maybe that'll be more so of a limited thing. I'm not sure. It's one of those things again where I don't I'm not I'm not 100% sure how this thing's going to land, you know? (laughs) It could be something that no one wants to touch, and it could be something people end up clamoring to. I don't know for sure. Um, But it's definitely for streaming, for sure, and it would be great to have that be part of Black and Sexy TV since, since, you know, I helped build that platform. That would be great. And a a lot of people who are following my work are still subscribed there, so... Do you have, like, a dream project that you want to do and that maybe you're working towards, like, you know, oh, if I get a little bit more power and people know who I am, hopefully I can do this or, you know, get a certain amount of money. Like, do you have a dream project like that? I mean, I have a few. Uh, One off the top of my head is um, there's a certain aspect of Eartha Kitt's story that I want to tell. And that's something that I think, you know, would, would require some extra support, you know, and kind of people kind of stepping up to help execute. So I have my eye on that. And then, you know, there's a few books that I wouldn't mind, you know, being part of adapting. Um, But yeah, I've always kind of had my eye and I know there's a few projects that are kind of in the works right now around Eartha Kit. Uh, So I won't be the only one, but that's okay. Um, But there's a certain aspect of her life that I find really fascinating that I I would like to, you know, put into film form. As a performer, as a filmmaker, as a person who's made, you know, or at least been part of making um, a platform for lots of other things, like what advice could you give to other filmmakers, performers, and so on, artists? Uh, my main advice is always to just keep going. Like, don't don't stop whatever you're doing. <laughs> just make the next thing, you know. First thing doesn't work, make the next thing. Figure out how to get excited again and keep going. Yeah, I agree. I think, it. I think you know, talking about, like, to go back even to the beginning, like, you're going to feel bad either way. It definitely helps. <laughs> <laughs> the problem of the story is. <laughs> yeah. 
you're gonna feel bad. Yeah. Um, no, but like it, and I, it, it seems like you're the same way too, where you're always working on something and, um, you know, getting rejected in all these other ways is always going to feel bad, but it definitely hurts less when it's like, man, you know, I'm already on to like the next thing. Like mm-hmm. this is no big deal for me. <laughs> you can cope a little better, you know, and yeah, I think it's just better for, it's better for you. So, and then I've just, I think I've been around long enough now that I've seen all of the people who keep going eventually do pop in some way, you know, something pops for them, something, you know, uh, breaks through that threshold or whatever it is that they're trying to get to. And it's the, those are always, you know, the most prolific people that I know, the ones that are always have a script that they're asking me to look at, that always have something, even something small that they're just filming on the weekend. They're always doing something, you know, and I definitely have my, my lag times and my times where, People probably think I'm writing and doing a lot, but I'm actually not. And I, I have to <laughs> I have to kind of catch myself and go, oh, I'm kind of slipping into that waiting phase. Like I'm waiting for something again, you know? And so you have to kick your own butt and say, okay, the, the waiting part is very dangerous. And you don't want to be waiting on anything at any time. But you're going to have your moments when you do. But the best advice is to just make those moments be as short as possible, you know, or just real, you know, indulge in them maybe a little bit, but then start working on something else. Keep going. Even if the last thing that you did was successful, you know, so it's not even about that. Oh, you know, you got rejected everywhere on this thing. It's just about keeping going. And that shouldn't be too difficult. If you really are an artist, someone who really, um, has a strong need to express themselves, you're going to always have something popping. Yeah, it's good to, I guess it's healthy to have like at least a reprieve every now and then, like a little time. But yeah, I agree with everything that you said. Um, there's something else you could be doing. And then, you know, even if like nothing comes of it, you're still you're sharpening your skills, you're engaging your, your brain and telling it to work in a certain way. So even if it's, I know some people have a really hard time, like, you know, they look at a blank page and it's really like frightening. Like, I don't know what to do, but you can train your brain to like make that a little bit easier and just get something down and then do it. And, uh, your brain's going to kind of get used to that. And, you know, keep generating new things for you to do. And you got to also keep up with that. Yeah. Um, and it's also okay yeah. to write that, too. You can write a page that says, I hate this blank page. I don't know what to do. You know, <laughs> you can. Yeah. That's okay. You know, you can do that. At least you wrote. Yeah. I mean, you never know what's going to come out of that. And people might think that's like a stupid thing to do. And like, in some ways, yeah, it's like really silly. But like, you just keep that might work for someone like they're kind of like generating stuff and their brains working. And then it's like, maybe they write a sentence and they're like, Oh, that actually sounds really interesting. And they think about that sentence and it leads them down this path. You know, it's all like, there's all these different ways to like get to that point. So can you tell everybody where to find uh, all of your stuff and, you know, keep up to date with what you're doing and all that? Yes, you can find me at Miss Numa, M-I-S-S-N-U-M-A, on Twitter and Instagram, and pretty much everything I'm doing, I'm always posting there, uh, specifically 
for the movie Jezebel movie on Instagram. And then my website with updates is houseofnuma.com. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Okay. You too. Thank you. Bye. Looks like that's another sick episode in the can. Thanks everyone again for listening. Um, you can check out our other episodes in various ways. You can go on facebook.com slash indie beat movies. And I tend to put updates there. You know, people we've had on the show, what they're up to now, stuff like that. So check that out. We're also on Twitter, twitter.com slash indie beat movies. And that's basically just a feed of all the episodes we've done so far. And you can also listen to us by checking out the Playlist Podcast Network, which we are a part of. So you go to theplaylist.net, you click on the tab that says Podcasts, and those are all the episodes, which includes Adjust Your Tracking, Over Under, Binge Worthy, a ton of other great shows that you should be listening to. Um, if you'd like to hear me, more of my voice, uh, I went on the podcast No Cartridge to talk about video games. So, if you like those, I talked about role-playing games, which I love very much, and you can check that out on no-cartridge.com. But as for this episode, that's it. Sayonara. Peace.